Welcome back to another episode of Tolls on the Line. This is your boy, Gio Grassi, and I'm going to start this thing off, rightfully so, talking about my New York Giants, baby, and how about that? Right back in the thick of things, right there in the NFC East title race, right there in the playoff chase. For some reason, it's unbelievable, but I think they'll put it all together, and that's enough talking about the NFL for me today. I don't want to waste too much time getting into this episode, as I normally do talking before anything, but... uh. I got my wealth advisor, Pat Whalen, on the show today, and Pat's going to guide you all and talk to you about what it takes to invest, timing to investing, uh, when is the right time to invest, how much should I invest initially if I've never done it before, what to read, the resources he utilizes and gives his clients to utilize as well. Um, And I also talk a little bit about how I do it on my own in regards to outside of what Pat manages for me. Now, Pat manages a lot. He's got a bunch of clients. Personally, myself, I like to buy stocks on my own, uh, and I let Pat handle the big bucks and the bigger things in life. And most recently, man, I just bought Lowe's stock, and and they've been doing well. They've been outperforming Home Depot this year. They've been the one store that has never closed due to the pandemic, and a lot of people now are starting to do self-home improvement versus hiring someone or hiring uh, a company to come in and do the job for you. Now, that's what quarantine has blessed us with, uh, holding in and developing a lot of different personal skills. One of them, which being home improvement, and I saw that and I, I've read between the lines of some things that I've read in uh, some of my resources that we'll talk about in this episode, but I saw that and I saw an opportunity and I jumped in on it. So I know this episode, we're going to take a little twist away from strength and conditioning, but I think everyone and anyone for that matter can benefit off this episode. So let's cut it right there, baby. We'll get right to it. Line them up, lock and load, get ready to go. Welcome to the Tolls on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi. Today I'm bringing you my man, and I like to call him Project Pat. Sometimes I call him Brother Pat, Pat Whalen. Uh, I like to call him my wealth manager. He likes to call himself a uh, wealth or finance advisor, but I think of Pat highly. Pat's been helping me with my investment options, my investment research. And Pat, just like myself, is a Jersey City guy, born and raised. Pat, thank you for coming on, man. The, the people have been waiting for you, Pat. I'm telling you the truth, man. People have been texting me. People have been emailing me. Ask me, when is your guy going to come on the show? And I finally got you on, Pat. Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. And I have to thank you because uh, when we first met, as you know, um, I had some physical issues five years ago and you got back on my feet through some very good training. And of course, what I did to pay you back, if you will, was to teach you the basics of investing. And I think we've had a lot of fun in the last five years doing that together. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I just want to add to that story. So um, I met Pat when I was a personal trainer at a uh, gym in the Hackensack, New Jersey. Um, and yeah, just like Pat said, I helped him get back on his two feet. Um, so I met Pat. He just came out of, uh, I want to say, cancer treatment. He was cancer-free at the time. I remember you, Pat. Day one, very short steps with the cane, hunched over. You know, you were my number one project, and that's why I call you Project Pat, baby. <laughs> I got Pat up tall. He's standing over six feet tall. Now, when I met you, you were about my height, right? Yeah, I, I think I checked in at 6'1". I may have shrunk one inch. So, yeah. <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I got Pat. He's standing tall now, 6'2", maybe. I want to say 6'3", because he's taller than I am. Cancer-free. I'm proud of that. I know you are as well, Pat. Yeah. Walking as normal as possible without the cane, without any support. So, Pat, man, you, it was great working with you. I loved it. And I loved how you just taught me every day during our sessions about investing, how to do it, how to make the dead presidents work for you throughout your life so you don't have to bust your ass every single day of your life to work and earn a damn living. So uh, that was great. And, I, and I'm you know grateful for it, Pat. Thank you. I am happy to help. And I so much appreciate uh, all the help that you've given me on the training side. And uh, this has been my experience with so many of my clients. I meet from different uh, fields, whether it's electricians, plumbers, people who need my help. And of course, you have a relationship with these people and they help you. I have a gentleman coming today to my house to who I help and he's helping me install some fans and electrical uh, boxes in my home. There you go. That's good stuff. So Pat, real quick, before we talk about um, options for your money, I'd like to call it. I'd love for you to talk about your background, how you grew up, how you got into the career that you're into now with the people, because I, I believe your story is very powerful and strong and it, and it shows and it's living proof that you don't need much to get started. So if you could just start from Garfield Avenue, Jersey City, because <laughs> I know that's where it all started from, baby. Yes, yes. And it's funny. That's where uh, I met my wife, too. She grew up on Garfield Avenue in Jersey City. And I went to St. Aloysius, which unfortunately is now closed on West Side Avenue. Great school where I met a lot of very nice people. And that probably was the beginning of my interest in finance. I had a, a very nice business teacher in senior class, uh, Mr. Gleason, and he got me interested in finance and, and the markets. But when I graduated uh, St. Al's, there aren't many paths, as you know, for people from Jersey City, police, fire. My wife uh, is a retired teacher. But those avenues were probably about the only streets that we could walk when we graduated high school. But uh, I took a job reading meters in a utility and went to St. Peter's College at night. And that's where I learned a lot about economics and finance. And through people that I met, I started to develop uh, relationships with people. I had one brother who was a <coughs> lieutenant in Jersey City. Another brother who now is retired fire captain. And of course, my wife being a uh, teacher guidance counselor, I had a wealth of people that we both knew and all of them needed financial help. So as I was going to school, I partnered with some people who were in the industry and uh, then I went on, I was so interested in finance, I went on to graduate school, got my MBA from uh, Fairleigh Dickinson back in the uh, early 80s. So uh, I was always exposed to so many good teachers, so many fine professors, and of course, people in the industry that kept me going. But my business is really about relationships as yours is too. So the more people that you know, the better for your business. And that's the fun part because... Uh, most of the clients I've had over the years, I've had for many years, 20, 25, 30 years. And it's fun. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. But uh, I always tell people to follow their passion. I always liked finance and investing. And the way to do it, at least in my case, I needed someone to help me with college. So there was a company at the time that helped me. And of course, on to uh, later on to graduate school. So Yes, I was one of those uh, fortunate people that was able to follow their dream uh, in life because of uh, fine people that I met over the years and, of course, great clients that I still 
work with to this day. Yeah, and that's what it's all about, man. Just meeting the right people at the right time. I always tell people, you know, life's all about timing. So, and I think it's perfect timing that you're coming on now, right before the holidays, so people don't spend too much on gifts <laughs> and, put, <laughs> and put a little bit more back into their own uh, future, you know? So real quick, Pat, before we get into the discussion, how, how did you, because I don't think I quite know myself, how did you get into investing, stock market stuff, uh, things of that nature? Like what really turned you on to that? Was it, was it just the, the outcome of the, uh, the job or was it just uh, seeing the future for what it was? Well, the, as I shared, the teacher that I had, uh, uh, Mr. Gleason, a wonderful man. I, I believe he passed away a few years ago. I think I had the same man as a math teacher at, uh, in high school. Probably. Mr. He made, Gleason. He did teach at several schools. Yeah. Uh, St. Al's was one of them, and your school may have been another. But he used to bring little charts in and talk about different companies in the stock market. And uh, I w- was in uh, Jersey City from in, in the high school system from 69 to 73. So they were interesting years in the markets. And Gleason every day made a point of telling us about the stock market. And it's funny because about five or six of my colleagues in that class had gone on uh, to work in finance in their careers. So I really have to thank uh, Mr. Gleason probably for sparking the interest for all of us. That's good, man. Great leadership from him, man. And I really think I had to say, I got to go back and look at my yearbook, Pat, and I'll let you know the guy's uh, first name because I don't remember it, but I had an algebra teacher at Hudson Catholic. His name was Mr. Gleason, and he was a great, and I loved him because he taught math. Uh, he made mo- the most complicated form of math seem simple. Um, I have a feeling you're right because this man taught math, but he also taught uh, business um, ideas. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I got to go back, but I'll let you know about that. So, all right, Pat, let's dig into the meat and potatoes. Um, if you want, do you want to say the disclaimer now or do you want to say that at the end? Uh, I will give the disclaimer. Uh, my company requires this. And okay. uh, I'll start by telling you that the Securities and Investment Advisory Services are offered, uh, uh, I should say, through Royal Alliance and Company. Uh, Royal Alliance is a member of FINRA and SIPC. Royal Alliance Associates is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referred here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates. Perfect, man. All right, Pat. So um, how can someone who's never invested their money, they just work a nine to five, put it right in the savings account, uh, how can they begin to think about investing their money um, into any company? Well, some people will look at the equity markets and see a whole bunch of numbers and confusing information. The premise of our open and free markets is much simpler. Investing, especially in companies which employ large numbers of Americans, is certainly an investment in our country and the future growth of our businesses. When my children bring friends over to our home, they sometimes ask about what to read and what to get started with investing. And the book which grabbed my attention many years ago, which is still available on the bookshelves, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. He was the former manager, a very successful manager of the Fidelity Magellan Fund. In the book, he tells a number of stories about how he came to learn about companies. And one of my favorite stories he tells is going to his daughter's open house one night. And his daughter and the teacher were very excited to show him a new computer that was very easy to operate. And he tells a story that he didn't know much about computers at that time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he sits down and he starts to mm-hmm. use the computer. And before he had 
before long, he had a, a smile on his face and investment uh, idea for his fund. And that's how he, he got to know so many of these ideas, just common sense little things that happened in his daily life. But Apple computer um, and the early Mac, as most of us know, uh, was many years ago. It's not like what we see today, but that sparked his interest in going out many times with his daughter to look at different things that were out there. And the book is filled with these little anecdotes to give us insight into the mind of one of the most successful mutual fund managers. As to the daily reading, uh, I read the Wall Street Journal uh, every day. It's available Monday through Saturday, especially the uh, money investing sections. I recommend those. And on weekends, Barron's is a good read to keep you up to date on what the investing managers of mutual funds, exchange traded funds, banks, etc., to peer into their brain and and get an indication of what they're thinking and why they're buying uh, different companies. I think uh, that's important. So Barron's is something I recommend. It's a a one-day newspaper. It's available on Saturday, and you could also get it online. Yeah, the Barron's is good, uh, Pat. What I I like to read, and I think you introduced me to it, was the uh, Kiplinger. Um, Yeah. I I love Kiplinger because it's, you know, I get a daily email from it. It's a quick, short read on the market. Um, and I, you know, I'm always reading stuff. It would say, you know, this morning I read a topic. It said, uh, 20, uh, 20 stocks, um, that, that costs $15 or less with dividends. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting read. You know, it, it's, you know, introducing you to companies that don't cost too much on the stock market. They have dividends. So you're making money back on your investment, um, through quarterly or, you know, whatever it is, half year payments or whatnot. So I like stuff like that because short and quick, um, Barron's is excellent. You introduced me to the Barron's. Um, on Saturday mornings, I remember you used to bring me a paper all the time and that was great. Um, <laughs> and I loved it. My wife would always say, you're like an old man. You just sit down and read the paper on Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the wall street journal, Pat, it, it's, it's too complex for me to, for a guy like myself to read it. That might be more in your league. And that's why we hire people like you. And that's why I hired you. Um, cause you take care of all the, uh, the, the big money stuff, you know? Sure, uh, I do the reading, and you just enjoy the benefits of my yeah. reading. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Um, so, biggest question, Pat, and I, you know, I had this this confusion going on in my twenties, um, and I'll tell you what, I started investing when I realized I was working for a company um, where I was, you know, training athletes. Uh, we did not have a retirement package, a four hundred one k, none of that stuff. And I remember saying to myself, uh, "Shoot, how the hell, how the hell am I going to retire with no?" Uh, with no money working. It's just me saving money. That's not doing nothing in my savings account. So I took it upon myself. I read Forbes magazine. Um, that was the first thing I really read to kind of get me into the field of investing. Um, you know, made my initial investment that year. Was, I was 24 at the time. Uh, since then, today, that money has quadrupled, which I'm grateful for because, you know, all it takes, just like you said, Pat, all it takes is for you to read something and learn about it um, and then make a move. Absolutely. Um, so that leads me to my next point. You know, when, when is it the right time for people to invest? Because I know people always, and we have, we've had discussions where people would say, oh, I don't have the money. Oh, this is not the right time. When is the right time, Pat? That's probably the number one question that I'm asked all the time. And I'll be the first to tell you that market timing is a fool's game because mm-hmm. there is no one who can accurately predict when to get in and out at any given time for any given stock or bond. That being said, my first response to the right time question is now. If not now, when? Meaning, let's get started. And you and I have talked about that many times. 
Mm-hmm. I've met far too many 60-year-olds who've told me that they should have started earlier, and now they're trying to catch up with their investments. As the last 10 years have shown us, putting a constant amount into the markets on a regular basis has paid off hand- handsomely to those who have diversified portfolios. Right. It's time in the market which counts rather than timing the markets. Uh, I, I, I don't believe in, in trying to time the markets. It's just way too difficult. Yeah. Uh, since there's a constant rotation in the markets from market sectors like healthcare and technology, picking the sectors which will lead the charge can be very difficult, if not impossible. While trying to time the market is usually an exercise of futility, having a well-diversified portfolio of various asset classes and sectors is more advisable over the long term. Mm-hmm. While there are day traders trying to make a quick profit, far more of us, like you and me, are looking for longer-term investments with at least a three- to five-year time horizon. Right. So I, I would think people have to play the patience game because I don't think everyone has patience. They want to see the money double. They want to see the money quadruple. Um, and what was that rule you told me? It was Oh, my God. I forgot what it was. Uh, was it the law? 72. 72, yes. 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 Can you explain that to the people? Because that, that's, that, that is critical information. I don't think anyone really knows much about. Sure. So what you, you do is you, you take, let's say your portfolio has a 10% rate of return. You take mm-hmm. that 10% and divide it into 72. So it will take 7.2 years to double your money. Right. So that's the big question everybody asks is how long is it going to take me, for instance, to double uh, my money. Now, it works the opposite too. If you have a portfolio very conservative and it's only getting a 5% return and maybe somebody 75, 80 years old, that's their goal and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's going to take longer. Instead of the 7.2 years for a 10% rate of return, it will take over 14 years for that 5% to double your money. Yeah. And I, th- I think the biggest thing is people need to realize what you put in is what you might get out of it. So um, and you taught me this because I never saw it this way. Um, someone who invests, uh, let's just say $100,000 versus someone who invests a million bucks. 10% is going to look the same to, to the guy who invested a hundred grand and the guy who invested a million. It's, it's never going to be any different. Is that right? Yes. Uh, percentage is percentage. So yeah. if somebody only has $10,000 to invest and in, let's say the markets are up 10%, then uh, a $10,000 investment, 10%, that's $1,000. That $100,000 gentleman has 10%, that's $10,000. So it's all relative. Um, Whatever amount you have to work with, you should start uh, putting it to work. Yeah, and it is all relative because I've had conversations with friends and they'll say, I don't have enough money to invest. And I would just explain to them, listen, 10% 10% to you and I is, is, is just like 10% to a guy like, you know, Bill Gates, when he puts his money to work, you know, he'll see the, he'll see the, the percentage the same way we see it. Not, not any different. So, um, I think that's the biggest thing. I, th- I think it needs to be relative. It doesn't need to be absolute, you know? So if you make, if you make a thousand back on 10 grand versus a guy who made 10 grand back on a, off his hundred thousand dollar investment, we might view that 10% the same way. Then they're not going to look at $10,000 like, like a, a superb, uh, comeback, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, people are looking to find that one little stock that's going to go from $5 to $5 million. Yeah. That's, that's not the way. That's not realistic. That's not the way to look at the market. And you and I know that it, it's better to look at companies with sound earnings and invest in them. And 
those companies should, if unless their management entirely changes, is carry us forward into the future. Again, big difference between day traders and people looking for at least a three to five year time frame. Yeah. And I'm always in it for the long term. I think that's the best way to do it. You know, day by day trading, you're better off, you know, betting on sports or something like that, you know, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so going into uh, the details now of things, um, when, you know, people sign up for these websites to do it by themselves. Cool. Um, traditional and Roth IRAs. Um, what are the differences between the two? And uh, is there any advantage to choose one over the other? The most important difference is how and when you get a tax break. And okay. that's that so many people ask me. The tax advantage of the traditional IRA is that your contributions are tax deductible in the year they're made. The tax advantage of a Roth IRA is that your withdrawals in retirement after 59 and a half are not taxed. The okay. allowable contribution amount for a traditional IRA or Roth is the same at $6,000 per year or $500 per month or $7,000 because there is a catch-up allowed if you're over 50 years of age. Mm. Uh, the, in the income limits to contribute to a Roth for 2020 are for a single person uh, adjusted gross income of less than $139,000. So there is that, that limitation because people of substantial incomes obviously uh, cannot contribute, but most people that I run into uh, are happy to start out at least with maybe a Roth IRA. The married couple uh, limitation, the adjusted gross income of less than $206,000 for 2020. And I have to say 2020 because each year depends upon what uh, the folks in Washington decide on changing the limits for contributions to these plans. Okay. So the only difference is, is really, you know, how, how you get taxed on it, correct? Yeah, yes, that's, that that's the, uh, the big concern, and, and it is a, a very good concern. And I tell people, because I'm, I'm not a tax advisor, if you're working with an enrolled agent or a CPA, consult them if you have any questions about the tax implications of what you're doing. All right, perfect. Sounds good, man. So, all right, Pat, someone just signed up for their website. Uh, they're on with whatever site they want to trade on. Now they're looking at the whole, uh, it's almost like, you know, jumping into the Pacific Ocean. Where do you go from here, right? Stock, mutual fund, ETF, REITs. Uh, and there's probably many more options out there that I'm not talking about. But um, if you could not break down, because that might take a lot of time, uh, but just talk about, you know, what is the difference between a stock, a mutual fund, an ETF, and uh, so on? Well, the best way to explain it is when you're buying a stock, you're gaining ownership in a piece of the company <clears throat> uh, by purchasing that small piece. And of course, the hope is that that will, will grow. Some stocks pay a dividend and some do not. Uh, stocks are actively traded on their listed exchanges, like we hear on the television or radio, the Dow and the NASDAQ, and can be bought and sold during the normal business hours, 9.30 to 4. Uh, I don't recommend buy, trying to buy before the market opens or after the uh, market is closed because you have uh, price fluctuations sometimes that are very difficult to uh, put a hand on. And therefore, I recommend for people to trade during the normal business hours. And mutual funds are a good way for people to start. And they're just a basket of stocks and bonds, which are usually managed by professional fund managers. Uh, these funds can contain a number of types of stocks 
from a number of sectors like technology, healthcare, industrials, consumer discretionary. It's best to review the prospectus. I know a lot of people say, oh, the prospectus is boring. Please try to read it because it does give you an understanding of what that company is about. Mm -hmm. uh, you, should, you should do this before you make any purchase. Because you want to see the performance history and the types of companies which are held in those uh, mutual funds. Uh, remember that past performance may not be indicative of future performance of any fund. And mutual funds are not actively traded during the day. Because I've had people say, well, if I buy a fund and it goes up during the day, no, that's not the purpose. And you, you're not allowed to do it anyway. Uh, funds close when the market closes, and then the price is determined for the value of that mutual fund after the end of the trading day. Okay. Uh, and, and ETFs. I know a lot of people talk about ETFs. Um, some are actively managed. Exchange-traded funds is what they mean. Um, some are actively and some are not actively managed. Again, we should review the prospectus to see how the ETF or the fund is managed before we make a purchase. Exchange traded funds have become very popular the last few years, and they can be bought and sold, unlike mutual funds, and that's important in the difference. Exchange traded funds can be bought and sold during the business day on their respective exchanges. Uh, bonds are a type of indebtedness of the bond issuer to the holder of the bond. Most common types of bonds include treasuries, municipal bonds, or corporate bonds. And bonds can be in a mutual fund or they can be private investing where a bond can be made, uh, a bond can be issued, I should say, uh, as a loan to the government or a company. And bonds, are, there's many different types. What attracts investors to bonds are the yields they are paid each quarter. Usually it's on a quarterly basis. Uh -huh. uh, bond values are subject to the rise and fall of interest rates. It's very important because the rise of an interest rate can affect the bond negatively. The bond will go down as interest rates rise. So that's an important feature of bonds that people have to keep in mind when they're, uh, they're purchasing a bond. I, I recommend if people want to purchase bonds to get a good bond fund, there's many of them out there, versus trying to buy one individual bond issued, uh, whether it's by a company or the Turnpike or the Port Authority. I think a group of bonds would uh, better serve a uh, client if they're interested in uh, getting into bonds. Uh, real, real estate investment trusts, I have to touch on that because the last few years, uh, people have become interested in owning groups of, uh, let's say, stores or businesses in the form of a, a trust. And REITs were created by Congress in 1960 to give all of us the opportunity to benefit from investing in income-producing real estate. REITs allow anyone to own or finance properties the same way they invest in other industries through the purchase of stock. What the buyer of a REIT should be aware of is that they're affected by short-term interest rates. If rates go higher, then they could potentially lose money. All mm. that makes REITs volatile and their dividends are extremely unpredictable. Before the purchase of any REIT, it's advisable to read the offering statements of the issuing company. There is, call it a prospectus, call it the offering statement. It's really imperative on any client to read that prospectus to see what the advantages and disadvantages are 
in owning those real estate investment trusts. Gotcha. Okay. Now, what about an IPO when a company first comes out on the market? Should people jump on it um, if they believe in it or should they hold back and wait a little bit? What do you, what, what's your uh, opinion on well, that? Well, initial public offering uh, can be difficult to determine uh, pricing. And I, I uh, am not allowed <laughs> to be involved in initial uh, public offerings, it, meaning I can't buy them for myself and certainly wouldn't have the ability to, to purchase uh, a stock investment prior to the opening of the market for one of my clients. Uh, that's not to say large institutions may not uh, have a different uh, restriction on, on whether they can buy the uh, initial public offering. Uh, larger companies may have uh, the ability to buy large blocks of, let's say, when Facebook was first uh, uh, offered. Then once the public trading takes place, then people like uh, you or I could then step up to the plate and buy that uh, initial public offering after, it go, after it's sold in the market. And what I tell people is to be cautious because there's, sometimes there's so much excitement. And uh, Facebook is a good example. People wanted to get in on it because they knew so much about it. But people don't recall that uh, shortly after Facebook's uh, initial public offering, the stock price went down. And then as time went on, it eventually recovered and went back up. Mm -hmm. So uh, initial public offerings can tend to be very volatile and very difficult to determine which way they're going to move. And the most important thing is if a company does not really have earnings um, or they have not monetized their product, then I would recommend staying on the sidelines until we know the, the real direction of that company. Yeah, definitely. It could be a... Uh could be tricky waters to, to step into because I I've, I would watch companies uh, from their IPO to like, you know, maybe three months into the game. And, you know, you'll see that price either super drop or like you said, it's volatile. It's up one day super and it's down one day, you know, super again, you know. So, um, you know, I, I, I tend to wait a while, like, like you've taught me, wait a while to see their earnings, um, to see what the company's doing, read a little bit more about it, see where they're heading and, and you know, their type of direction and whatnot. So uh, could be tricky. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. In, in our uh, business, uh, patience truly is a virtue. I look at someone like Warren Buffett, uh, well into his 90s, and he's always been a patient investor. He looks at companies, sees what they're about, see what their growth potential is, and then he ultimately decides whether he's going to buy it or not. Uh, he's not necessarily standing on the sidelines waiting for the initial public offering to grab it. I, I think all of us would be better off waiting to see how that company is received by the general public and see what their earnings are, what the first, at least the first few quarters of earnings are, are going to show us because that might give us a better feel, better handle on whether we should step up and buy that company. Definitely, man. So, um, you know, someone's doing this by themselves, Pat, um, Best information, you know, best way to, you know, find information or educate themselves on market trends or whatnot. And real quick, and I want to give an example about myself because I'm thinking again um, on the part when we talked about when is the right time to buy. And listen, I, w I made the stupidest decision of my life, Pat. Um, when I first started investing, I wanted um, more equity on, on a company. I wanted more stock. And it was between, um, I want to say Apple and Amazon. I remember I was looking at those two. And I remember seeing Amazon's price at the time was about 400 and something. And I remember saying to myself, ah, I only want to invest a thousand. I don't want two stocks. I'd rather get multiple. 
looking at Amazon's price today, Pat, that was probably the most naive decision I made in my life. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I always, and I still follow it to this day. Um, and I, obviously I own some mutual funds with your help that have that, um, within their fund. But, and I look at that and I say, man, the, the, the stupidity of, of my, uh, misunderstanding of the game of investing versus, you know, the greed of wanting more equity. So how can someone, um, find information to make better decisions, to not make the, the, the stupid decision I made to want more versus wanting a company that could take off like Amazon did? Uh, I think it's a good place to start by reading very good periodicals. Business and finance section of the Wall Street Journal is a good example. I do read that on a daily basis. Uh, for those people who may not care for the complexity sometimes of uh, those articles, uh, you can get a magazine, as you mentioned before, like Kiplinger's or Money Magazine. Uh, on Saturday, Barron's newspaper comes out with uh, both an online and a printed form formula for um, people to look at uh, what is going on in the markets and, more importantly, what money managers are thinking about. I think that's very important to peer inside the minds of those who are investing on a bigger scope buying the mutual funds that many of us own. I would call uh, Barron's is, is almost the Bible for advisors like myself in the industry. And before the markets open, CNBC or Bloomberg News are good sources of news concerning what is going on in the markets, especially with respect to the earnings of companies. Anybody going to CNBC or Bloomberg looking for political discussions is going to be disappointed because that's not what's going on there. They are talking about acquisitions and they are talking about companies and the CEOs of companies are going to be on there. And some very good questions are asked of them as to what their business model is. And it, if it falls into what your goals are as an individual investor, then it would give you an idea as to whether you want to step up to the plate and invest in, as you mentioned, a company like Amazon or a company like uh, uh, Facebook or, or uh, any any of the other uh, different types of uh, investment opportunities that are out there. Um, as far as the, the different uh, articles that are available, uh, The Economist is another good magazine. You mentioned uh, Kiplinger's, Investors yep. Business Daily, uh, Bloomberg Business Week, Forbes, Money Magazine. So many of these at least give you an idea. Uh, if you have an interest, let's say, in technology, then maybe you just want to stick to uh, those companies to learn about them before you spend one dime on investing in them. If you're involved in healthcare, I mean, I had talked to doctors uh, a few years back at the hospital and they had a fascination of the pharmaceutical companies. Well, then do some reading on that. And if that's what you're genuinely interested in, then you might want to uh, stick your toe into the water of those types of uh, companies. Right. So it's all, it's all about what you believe for, uh, from what you read, right? Yeah. As uh, Peter Lynch talked about the story with his daughter uh, and Apple, um, it's, you find out that many of the investment ideas come from right around you. Um, they're not that hard to find, but then maybe you want to do some reading and to see if those companies are well-managed. Um, that's the important uh, aspect of this whole a field that I'm in is people just shouldn't hear one idea on television or one idea perhaps on the radio, do some reading on it. And then if that sparks your interest, 
have some fun. I, I still am an advocate of diversifying, but if you're just starting out and your interest is in, let's say, healthcare, like, like the doctors that used to talk to me, um, then perhaps investing in uh, name, big name pharmaceuticals might be a way to start. And uh, that's, that's something that uh, is the first domino. You and I talk about how do you get started? Well, something in all of us is sparking an interest. If you're a fan of automobiles, maybe you want to get involved in Tesla, but do the reading on it. And I think you'll have some fun along the way. Right. Uh, definitely. So that leads me to my next point, Pat. Um, can, can someone do this by themselves um, or should they hire someone? Um, and before you go, I'll give my opinion. You can do it on your own with small money. But when there's a big money involved, that's when I hired Pat. Because um, I'll tell you what, Pat, with big money, I'm not going to lie. If I, if I lose it, I can at least blame you for it. That's good to know. And, and, no, no, and, uh, and listen, I'm, I'm just playing games. I'm just kidding. But um, no, on, on a serious note, big money, um, you know, I, I would rather hire so, And that's why I hired Pat because it's like, hey, you are the professional. I'm not. I'm such a novice. I'm an infant to this game. You are a, a you know, uh, a mega uh, to this game. You are like the Joe Montana of football to the investing game. Uh, so you would know how to position that money. Someone like myself might just be so naive and see one position. We might look at one sector and put all that money into it, you know, uh, like a technology sector where you, you've diversified my portfolio to the point where I'm looking at it and saying, shoot, I would never look at these things. Um, and I see how you move the money around from time to time. So um, what do you think? Um, so, sh- you know, can someone do this by themselves or should they hire someone? Uh, well, that's the question that uh, so many investors really should be asking before you start to invest. You have to take the time to think about the basics of what you're trying to accomplish. So you're looking for immediate profits by day trading, then by all means, uh, explore that. However, if you are looking for a longer time frame, uh, at least three to five years, then perhaps you should partner with an advisor who can help you out with that. And yep. there are plenty of resources and companies that can help you, whichever endeavor that you're interested in. If you want to do the day trading, that's fine. If you want to partner with someone like myself, then uh, we try to make ourselves available to our clients and spend the time uh, talking to them. Um, I, You and I joke about how much time is devoted, uh, a lot of energy to fantasy football. And I look at, and I hear it at, at the gym, I hear so many uh, guys and gals talking about uh, uh, the fun that they're having, but also the money they're losing when they're investing in these uh, yeah. fantasy sports. And I think about if they directed some of that, or perhaps even all of that time, to um, researching companies to invest in, then I, I think that uh, they would, that would be time well spent, and of course, money well spent. And, uh, you know, I, I joke about it, but uh, can you imagine if, if all that time and money was redirected into research and buying good investments in our markets, uh, how much better financially uh, these people uh, would be? Uh, I think right. we would see a lot more people getting involved in the very productive endeavor of uh, reading about investing in our equity markets. The question should be asked of, of all potential long-term investors is, are you looking to partner with someone who is a fiduciary to manage your investments for an extended period of time. A fiduciary like myself uh, has a legal obligation to act in the best interest of the client. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, there's usually a flat fee for that. Let's uh, just say 1% of assets under management. That way, if the investments increase in value for a client, then the advisor's income would go up with that same 1%. Uh, so the advisor has his client's best interest in doing very well. He's not making money on the trade. Uh, he's not making uh, money on the buy and sell. He's making money uh, for the overall performance of his clients. So uh, that's something to, to think about. And when you're looking at a potential advisor, you should be able to ask about the years of experience as you did uh, education background. You can ask if they do transactional commission business or are they a fee-based, which I am advisor. Uh, while we have discussed a number of topics uh, today, the most important thing uh-huh. is to think about getting started. Investing for retirement, a vacation home, uh, it's important. And that should be done in the most beneficial way for any client and his family. And time frames are important. If you're buying a house in the next 12 months, by all means, that money should be earmarked for, let's say, uh, a bank account because uh, you don't have the volatility. But uh, many people have money they want to put aside, perhaps for the car they're going to buy in the next few months. But what about for the next three to five years? Uh, I know you and your wife talk about goals year to year, and I recommend everybody does that because uh, money should be appropriated for those things that are short-term. If you have uh, a new roof on your house or you need a new furnace, then that's short-term money and that should be available. However, at least a, a three to five year time frame, then you should be thinking about uh, investing. And those investments, uh, you have a lot of choices and they should be appropriate depending upon the individual's risk tolerance. If you're a very conservative person, then obviously that's where money should be spent. If you're more aggressive, then of course uh, the advisor should work with you on uh, that aspect of your investments. And uh, we, we've, we've talked about a lot of uh, different ideas and it, it's certainly a broad spectrum for anybody. It should be an enjoyable endeavor and I know you've enjoyed learning about the, the products and services that companies provide mm-hmm. and no advisor should be telling you, you have to do this, you have to do that. The advisor should be listening to what your goals are, time frame and what you feel comfortable in doing. I think that's the most important thing today. I think that's where in our industry, there's very good advisors who do listening to their clients. And then there are those that just seem to want to push and sell a product. And I just don't think that's, that's the way that anybody should be working with, uh, with clients. Yeah. You, uh, you've never pushed me to purchase anything. I remember you'd give me a ton of ideas um, that you've read, you, you, you would give, you would point me into the right direction and say, Hey, look, this company geo in a couple years, you'll be very happy. And I'll tell you what, Pat, I, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> and we, we talked about some of those before we started recording here, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, like, and to touch uh, back on the other point you said about, uh, you know, having the short-term goal versus a long-term goal. Um, you know, you've taught me and you've enlightened me on, uh, Hey, what is your money doing in your savings account, Gio? What are you collecting? Six cents a year? Put it to work, you know? Um, and you've taught me that back when we first met in 2000, I think 16 or 17. But uh, yeah, ever since then, Pat, I mean, I, I only keep enough of my savings account to pay for, you know, half a year's worth of bills in the event, you know, we lose a job or whatever, like, you know, COVID happened this year. But uh, yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm, you know, we're putting money to work. Um, 
you know, you, you've opened up my interest in, in that uh, aspect as well. But I want to talk about something real quick, Pat. People that have, uh, people that would say, uh, hey, I don't want to invest my money. I have a 401k or I have a retirement plan. I'm good. Um, is, is that safe enough to stop there or should people continue to put their money um, elsewhere? Well, a 401 is certainly a good place to start. But of course, that, it, let's say to somebody who's 25, that is a goal of 59 and a half or more because you do have that 10% penalty. So I would say that you may need a combination of both. You may need that 401 money, especially if it's matching. These companies, I can't see how people would not want to invest with a company that has, let's say, a 7% match because you're putting 7% in the company's matching it. Why would you not try to do that? In that case, you should at least be putting that 7% in with the company match. And each year where you get your raise, let's say you're getting a 3% raise, 1% of that 3 maybe you could increase the amount that you're putting into that 401. So this year, 7%, next year, 8%, the following year, 9%. Yeah. And I think that's a real good strategy because I don't see that it's going to negatively affect your, your take-home income. And before long, you'll have quite a bit saved. I mean, ideally, people say, well, what should be a goal on an annual basis? Uh, a 10% uh, of your, your total income to be put aside for retirement. I think uh, many times we're watching uh, uh, TV shows uh, with uh, people giving uh, financial advice. They're recommending uh, 10 to 12% on uh, now those figures are probably the overall uh, if you're going to be six or seven percent obviously in uh, in that uh, 401 you should have some outside money as well uh, you brought up a good point should everything be necessarily put into the 401 well then that would tie up the money that I'm going to need for that new car next year mm. or uh, or the uh, the house that uh, me and the missus are looking at or a vacation home because uh, to have everything directed into one place kind of limits you, uh, especially if it's tax deferred. So there's nothing wrong with having both. You have a, an investment vehicle that allows you, let's say those mutual funds, you can take money out when you need them out of those funds. And uh, at the same time, you are putting money into long-term uh, investment vehicles like the 401s. I think uh, to have a combination of both, I think uh, would uh, would be a, a good advice to give to uh, any uh, young person getting into the markets. And you and I joke about this, but it's good to start young because when I get the phone calls from somebody 60, 70 years old that say, well, you know, I'm interested in getting involved now in the market. Well, that would have been a lot nicer when they were in their 20s. Yeah, It's very difficult to to help somebody uh, at that time. So yes, the, the picture, of course, is always volatility, looking at that in the market and looking at somebody's age. And of course, um, look at their personal factors. What in the next six months, because you and I have talked about it, you need to buy that car, you need to buy that first house, you need to make repairs on the house. But even when doing that, I tell people, you could always find a couple of dollars to put aside and to put into your investments. Yeah, big time, and and I I mean I'm doing I'm doing three different things. I mean I've I, I've got you in my corner. Um, I'm you know buying small stuff on my own. I have the the retirement account with work, you know. So like you said, it's good to have the options because you know you're locked in 
for your retirement age. You know, you have money just to, you know, when you want to buy that house, you want to buy uh, that, you know, big goal that you're operating for in the short term um, and whatnot. But hey, like you said, start in your 20s. Um, I started when I was 24, 25. I forget what it was. Uh, and I wish I would have started with more money, to be honest with you, Pat, because looking back now, I mean, hindsight's always perfect. Looking back now, if I would have put more in on my initial, I'd have more now on my return. Um, now, needless to say, I still did good, but I was spending money on crap in my 20s that I wish I wasn't spending my money on, you know, uh, <laughs> fantasy football, uh, going out to the club, you know, drinking with friends, you know, stuff like, like stuff, that, stuff that we look at now when we get older and we say, that was stupid, you know? Um, and you touched on a great point with fantasy football. I mean, hey, you know I love playing the Pat, <laughs> but, yes. but I've t- tuned it down. I'm only playing one fantasy football league now, and I barely put my thoughts into it as much as I used to because now I'm reading more Kiplinger. I'm reading Barron's on the weekend. Um, it's funny, a buddy of mine, he, he calls me on Sundays, and he's trying to you know, put his bets on his parlay card. And I'm over here, t- I said, bro, look, I don't even know what's going on in the NFL. I'll be honest with you. Uh, so don't call me with your gambling, uh, uh, ideas. I don't, I can't advise that, but I'll tell you what company's going to do good in, uh, this next quarter. You know, that's a fact. So, um, but look, looking into things, Pat, um, going forward, I mean, people see a lot of green, a lot of red in the stock market. Um, you know, companies doing bad today. They're doing great tomorrow. They're doing bad for these next couple months. And we've seen it this year, especially in 2020. Um, we saw a bull market. We saw a bear market. We're seeing a bull market again. It's crazy. Um, what should people do with the things they own when they see a lot of green or a lot of red? I'm glad you brought this up because emotions come into play with investing. And I can share with you during the pandemic, I had the share of phone calls and that's a good part of what I do in my business is handholding and assuring people that we are going to get through the downtimes, the, the pandemic or even uh, perhaps the recession that we saw uh, a number of years ago. Um, but we always have to remember the days when the markets are going to be red, uh, of course, negative, and then positive uh, green. And uh, both of those, up or down, are really based upon news and news that uh, is reported, whether it's uh, labor reports or even news about a company's earnings or perhaps even an acquisition that the company is going to make. What we have to think about is, will the news affect our ownership in this company going forward? Uh, An example could be if our favorite technology company buys a cruise line. That should make us think, well, wait a minute, are they getting away from their core business? Uh, We have to look at some drastic change in a company if we own that stock to say, um, is that company changing direction? Is it a direction they'll be successful in? And I think the one I just shared with you, uh, a a dynamic uh, technology company, suddenly going off and doing something entirely different, um, then you start to question what the management in that company is doing and what their goals are, and do I want to be part of that? So that's important. And then the other side, the, the downside, is we have to realize there's a big picture here, and the pandemic is a good example, that there are terrific companies that are going to have downside risks that uh, none of us can control and may not have been caused by anything the management of uh, companies have done. The airlines are a good example. Uh, some of them had very good earnings going uh, in right before the pandemic. 
pandemic comes <laughs> along and guess what? Nobody's going to the airport. When yes. I came back from Florida, I, I, I told you in uh, July, uh, there were 20 people on the plane on United. And, and I felt very bad for that company because uh, that's not been my experience over the years. So that company is is having a hit on their earnings. And will will they get through it? The hope is, I'm sure you feel the same way, is none of us want to see the airlines uh, not succeed because we all need them uh, for future travel. I think it's very important for our economy because uh, whether you know you're running a business or whether you're going to see uh, friends and family in another state or another part of the world, you want those airlines to to do well and to be able to take care of our needs. So your original question, um, yeah, the, you hope that companies uh, do well, and sometimes the management is just terrific. But then you have these things that no one can anticipate, like the pandemic. And then as an owner in those companies, then you have to uh, make a decision whether you want to ride out the, the tough time, stay with that company, or perhaps you want to leave that company and move on to something else. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing you taught me, two things. One, and you mentioned it, uh, you cannot make an emotional decision. Um, and two, you know, stick through the tough times, especially if, if the company is a great company. And we saw, you know, earlier this year in March when, you know, the, the market, I don't want to say crashed, but the market kind of uh, had a steep slope uh, <laughs> on the graphs. Um, I'll sure. tell you what, I'll tell you what, Pat, uh, you taught me great things, um, you know, throughout our, our uh our friendship here. Um, you know, when you see red, think of it as a sale or a clearance sale. That's what I did. And I went in and I, you know, bought a couple positions back in March and April. Um, and they're doing extremely well now. Um, and I think the biggest thing people need to understand is when you see red, don't panic. When you see green, uh, same thing. Don't panic. Don't make the decision off emotion of and sell right away. But, uh, when is a great time to sell what, what you own, Pat? And would it be smart to move that money to another position or take it out and, uh, enjoy it? Um, when we buy a stock, we have to have realistic expectations for that company and the sector which, which it's in. Um, for example, bank stocks may have a lower growth rate than high-flying technology company. We then have to have a realistic expectation for that particular type of company based upon realistic growth for that industry. For, as I mentioned, bank stocks may not have that growth that the high-flyer uh, flying technology companies have but they're still solid companies and there's still places that clients should think about investing. Mm -hmm. uh, there, and that's very important that uh, we, we look at the performance of a company over a time period. Uh, I probably talked to you, Morningstar is uh, accessible to virtually anybody who wants to go onto the internet to see, let's say a 10 year performance on a company. Yeah. And while past performance is not always indicative of future growth, as we know, you can at least get an idea of the type of growth in that stock and perhaps that sector. Uh, a good example, the bank stocks. Uh, if a bank stock was uh, performing at, let's say, a 6% rate of return, then, of course, uh, we, can, we can have some expectations that they're going to continue to have that uh, similar performance and we can't expect a slower growth company to suddenly uh, uh, give us a rate of return of 20 or 25%. So we have to be realistic. But when the best time to sell is once uh, we've realized 
our, whatever our goals are, if our goals over, let's say, a five-year time period were to achieve uh, an 8% rate of return, and then we find that uh, perhaps the management at that particular company is not what we expect, or they've moved in a different direction, uh, acquired companies that may be outside the core of a business model, then that might be uh, the best indication for us to sell that company and to buy a another type of company, maybe not even in that sector, maybe um, going to be in healthcare, maybe in a different direction. But it's always the difficult time uh, question, I should say, for clients is when is it best time to sell? And if the performance is good and, and the growth expectations for the next few years are going to continue to be good, then maybe it's not the best time to sell. But uh, if, if our expectations are different for that company and that sector, than the company's performance, then that might be the best reason to to sell and move on to something else. Yeah, and uh, real quick, um, and I don't think we touched on this, but uh, when someone purchases, let's say a stock, um, and they have the option to reinvest their dividends in their capital gains, uh, should they or should they not, or is that a gold-dependent um, option? Yes, for some of my older clients that have uh, more of a, a bond leaning than equity, and they're getting a dividend uh, each quarter, um, then that really is the purpose of owning those uh, bonds. And there are, uh, of course, uh, stock companies perhaps uh, uh, that are paying uh, dividends and the growth is there, or maybe it's slow growth, but consistent dividends. Then, of course, uh, it, it's important to decide what you're in it and what you're in it for. If you're in it for just the dividends, there's nothing wrong with that. And as, as you and I know, there's good mutual funds that the purpose of owning those funds is to get uh, the dividends from them. Yep. So uh, it, it's really what your expectations are for those companies and uh, for the types of companies that you own. Some are just tried and true, as you know, year after year, they're going to pay that dividend that you could count on. And for some clients, it doesn't matter age, so even younger clients, that's all they want. They just want those dividends every quarter. There's nothing wrong with owning the types of companies that are going to produce those. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so let's fast forward a bit. Let's go back to the previous question before that. Um, so say someone's three to five year plan uh, comes to fruition. Um, Say, say that goal that they once had, say, hey, you know, I want to buy this, uh, I want to buy this Mercedes in five years. Say you don't even have that plan no more in mind. Um, should they stay with that position? Should they pull out and sell, collect the money, or should they move those positions to another uh, stock or fund um, for, for growth? Or should, should they just stay, stay with where they're at now? What do you think? Well, one of the benefits of owning mutual funds or ETFs is that you have the benefit of diversification through good asset allocation. If the fund or the ETF is actively managed, then there are professionals making changes to the funds to maximize the performance. Okay. If you own just a basket of stocks in one sector, such as consumer discretionary, then you can think about more diversification in your holdings. And there's nothing wrong with owning several different mutual funds that have several ownership in several different sectors. 
the downside of, of just holding one or two stocks is the performance could be affected by forces outside the control of the managers of the company. Okay. As discussed before, airlines are, are a good example. Uh, the pandemic has affected the, the travel industry too. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with taking some of the gains off the table, especially if your family budget requires you to make some unexpected purchases, such as a, a good example, a new roof, uh, heating systems, uh, et cetera. I, I, I have you left? This is the, the calls that I get the last few years have been fascinating. Probably the number one request for dollars to be and checks to be sent has been for implants. People that have <laughs> let their go all these years are suddenly waking up and, you know, that bridge that I had put in my mouth, let's say 25 years ago, yeah. I need an implant. So a few years back, it was more, I got more phone calls for travel plans. But of course, as we know, this past year, no one's been able to go anywhere. So the bulk of the calls for distribution of, of cash, sending checks has been for implants, dental implants. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. That's funny. No, that is. <laughs> it's, it's something that, that has to fit in our goal, but it's not something that we'll necessarily know at the beginning of the year because that bridge may not fail until six months into the year, but it does have to be part of your, your budget. Um, yeah. So many, like you mentioned, the car, um, the trips. Right now, most of the trips are, are put on hold. So um, we have to be realistic in, in the goals that we have and when it's time to take some money off the investment table and put it into the family budget table. I think that's the, the best way to describe it. Uh, while being in the market for a long time can be profitable, short-term goals uh, can be impacted by uh, our investments. But that money, once we determine what is going to be done with it, family obligations, as, as we just discussed, then perhaps we should sell some of those investments that were profitable to us, and then we could uh, move on to uh, pay the family bills that are necessary, or even to move on to another type of investment in the spectrum of uh, different types of asset classes uh, that we talked about. And none of us want to get blindsided by a downturn in the market, because if we're going to need money uh, in the next few months, the next year, then that money really should be off the table and out of the market, because uh, that's really almost playing... uh, Russian roulette because we're using money that we really don't have. That money is is pre-allocated to family needs, so it should not be invested in the market. But on the other side of that coin, as you pointed out before, um, if we have a three to five year timeline, then why should we have uh, all this money sitting in the bank? I got a phone call last week that uh, uh, an attorney, a potential client, has $900,000 sitting in a bank account. Jesus, man, put it to work. Put it to yeah. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know that. You know that. And and probably the majority of, of my clients know that. I mean, he, he his law firm just bought him out. That's why he's getting this money. But let's be real. He's 73 years old. Um, let's put that money to work. Uh, even if he wants to be conservative, we want to do maybe some bond funds that give him uh, a, a dividend. Realistically, that's what we should be talking about. Not having that money in the corner bank. But by the same token, if he has bills to pay or let's say he wants to pay off the car that, that he's been paying, making payments on, there's nothing wrong with doing that. 
but to have that kind of money sitting in a bank account. And there's a lot of people out here who like that, Gio. It's, it's, it's surprising, but it's, it's a fact. Yeah. No, it, it, it is. And it's, uh, I don't want to say it's sad because, you know, whatever people do with their money is whatever. But uh, I'm a fan of putting the dead presidents to work because, you know, they, they need to work for me. I can't always work to earn them. Um, and it's funny, Mo, um, my friend Mo, he, um, I introduced him to you. You know, he, he thanked me uh, the week after you and, um, uh, you and him um, started working together. And he's like, you know what, Gio, this is, uh, and he told me, he said, you're right. This is, uh, this is the way to do it. You know, have someone work your money. Uh, while you're still, uh, what's it called? Um, putting money towards your uh, 401 through work. So uh, he's enjoying his returns. He, he's loving it. Um, he's doing a lot more research now that I put him on with you. So uh, I think I think that's the way to do it. If you ask me, Pat, um, hiring someone like Pat is the best way to do it. Um, thank, thank you. I, I'm glad you, you talk about that and the fun. I don't want to make this all technical because the client you referred to me, I could tell he's genuinely enjoying reading about what's going on with these companies. And he, he said to me on the phone, you know what, Pat, I never realized this can actually be fun. It should not be torturous. It should not be something that's so difficult that the average person can't get their arms around it. Yeah. And, and the good thing about reading about it, Pat, um, and you taught me this, it's, uh, you know, money makes the world go around. You see what's happening uh, on the uh, on the global stage versus what's going on just in our you know environment around us. So uh, you know, you see the direction the world's heading into, and then you start making smarter decisions on you know how you spend your money, how you invest your money. So um, listen, it's worked for me. Um, just like you said, hey, if you're gonna you know if you got a problem with your car, you're gonna go hire a mechanic. Um, yes. If you have a certain issue, uh, if you need to lose weight, you want to put on muscle and don't know how to, you're gonna hire a personal trainer. You want to make more money, go hire a wealth guy. And, you know, that's the only way to do it because if you do it by yourself, I do it a little bit by myself, but I do it better because I learned from you. Um, I still don't know how to invest large money. And that's why I got Pat in my corner uh, working on that stuff for me. So thank you, Pat. Um, (laughs) Returns have been great this year. I'll tell you that much. Real quick, if you could talk about your personal success through the 2008 recession, um, because real quick, 2020 COVID recession, we've seen it. It was terrible. But uh, I get my statements in the mail from you, Pat, and we're, we're doing great. We're doing <laughs> perfectly fine. Um, and, and you told me back in April, don't panic. Stay there. Don't move a thing. If anything, put in more. Um, and now I'm doing great, even better than, than I was in March or April or February for that fact. Um, so if you could just talk about 2008 and how it looked for you versus how it looked for the landscape, because you showed me the papers and it's fact. Um, how your returns were versus, uh, I guess, I don't want to say other companies, but uh, the, the market in general. Yeah, I, I think we were very successful. The reason being is that we were so well diversified and strategically we were allocated in more of a defense posture because we saw what was happening uh, with respect to the banks and mortgages. And I think that's why we were so successful during that uh, period of uh, the 2008, 2009. And that's where working with a professional differs from working by yourself and hoping, hoping for the best returns by uh, taking the proverbial dartboard and tossing some darts and hoping to uh, have, my, have your money invested in the top companies at that time. 
the whole country took a big hit and our response coming back in the next few years after that was very good, uh, very uh, healthy because again, we were strategically allocated. And what that means is we weren't overly weighted, let's say toward uh, the banks that took the hit or overly weighted toward uh, even technology uh, took a substantial hit. Now, of course, a few years later, they had a nice rebound, but that's what, as you pointed out, clients are paying us for. Uh, what is the strategy? Well, what are you looking for? We want to get to partner with those exchange traded funds, those mutual funds, which have lower volatility. And that's important because that's what you're paying me for. You could go buy a high-flying exchange traded fund in the technology sector. Yeah, you could do very well this year, but the following year, if we have things happen in the U.S. economy, then that will take a much bigger hit than perhaps the allocation that we are headed for, which would be more conservative. So uh, again, I have to tell everybody, tell my clients, and you know this is, what is your risk tolerance? And are you properly allocated for not just the next six months or year, but for longer term? Uh, and can you accept the downside? Can you handle volatility? Because everybody says they can, but the minute we go through even this pandemic, um, you're, you're going to get the phone calls, Gio. You yeah. are going to get the phone calls. And if you've put your clients in an overly aggressive model, because we use various models um, for the clients, depending upon suitability, uh, then if you had the 85-year-old uh, widow in an aggressive portfolio, then shame on you, because that's not where she belonged. You should have had her in, uh, in a more conservative investment vehicle. So getting back to, to 2008, 2009, yes, um, the younger people that have been with me for many years, uh, perhaps they were in a more aggressive uh, position and they weathered the storm and they moved on. But for more senior clients, then I would say that we had them and, and continue to have them in a more conservative uh, allocation model. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I forgot what you said again. Risk, risk tolerance. Can you risk really? Yeah, can you really stomach it? It's easy to say yes, I can. But when it happened, listen, I was down about sixty something percent in March. Uh, I felt those stomach pains, but I kept saying to myself, "There's going to be brighter days. It's going to be, it's going to be brighter days." And it's October now, and you know, uh, the days are well. You know, stick through it. But um, yeah, like you said, man, can, can you? Do you have the stomach to really weather through the storms when shit hits the? Uh, you know, things hit the fan. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, but it, it is true. Um, and, and the clients that tell you, oh, I can handle it, I can handle it, they're the ones that will call you and say, what did you put me into? Right. I, I right. would rather put them in a perhaps a little more conservative uh, investment vehicle and the models that we use um, versus the person who's in their, let's say, late 20s, early 30s, who have a 30-year time frame, then they belong in a more aggressive growth uh, model because they have far more years to recover yep. than the person that is, let's say, 75, 80 years old that needs that money and is depending upon that money on their day-to-day -day living expenses. So you really, it, it's a case-by-case -case situation. It's not one suit for everybody. You should 
you go into a store, you're going to buy the suit that fits you. Well, it's the same in our business. That's why the suitability and, and the volatility is something that you have to seriously look at with the client and position them accordingly because a conservative client really should not be involved in, in high-risk investments. But then, you know, that individual I know is 73 that, that uh, potentially it, it would be a client of mine, um, putting 100% of his money in the corner bank, hoping for some great returns, it's, it's not going to happen. You and I know that. Yeah. But per, per, perhaps putting him in a more conservative investment vehicle is something that, uh, and maybe he just wants to dip his toe in the water. Let's start with just a small part of his portfolio and see how he likes it. Definitely. Definitely, man. And it's, that's, uh, you know, it's, you know, dependent on your goals, like you said, but, you know, also dependent on your age, big time, you know, younger guy be more, uh, high risk, you know, older guy, you know, little, little conservative, uh, action won't hurt you, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's risk tolerance and people don't think about it, but they ought to before they get involved in investing into any type of uh, investment vehicle that might be available for them in the markets. Definitely, man. So, hey, Pat, one last question here, baby. Um, and thank you for everything you spoke about today. Really, really uh, great information. So, if you were not doing what you were doing today, what other career do you see yourself in? <laughs> I started like so many Jersey City guys uh, playing uh, music. Uh, I, I got to know a couple of guys from uh, Cool and the Gang, one of which uh, uh, just passed away. But his advice to me was, you could love music, but unless you really like being on the road so much of your life, then I would suggest doing something a little more stable and something that's going to pay the bills and allow you to have a family. Because um, uh, my uh, son's father-in-law, too, was very successful. He was with Blood, Sweat, and Tears and uh, uh, Stanley Clark and uh, so many famous people. Um, he was never able to have a family. He married a woman who had uh, two children, and they're, of course, his stepdaughters. My son is married to one of them. But uh, uh, music is fun. Uh, I, I love it. But uh, unless you can turn it into something that would pay the bills... I would say that you should seriously think about uh, a real career. And so many people, as you mentioned, they love fantasy football, but that's a pastime. That's something you're doing on the side. Same with me. I mean, I, I love to watch. Uh, uh, I'm on YouTube and could watch somebody uh, uh, play a song, and it takes me all of 15, 20 minutes to figure out the chord progression and how to play that song. And you know what? That And I, I started playing the guitar probably when I was 10 years old. But that discipline, teaching yourself and learning uh, the chord progressions and how songs work, that really, think about it, that's analyzing things. And that probably is what gave me some good training to be able to look at companies, analyze them, and see what was profitable going forward. There you go. So you, you would have been the next Jimi Hendrix, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that was my <laughs> idol. Jimi was my idol growing up. I have to say that. I, I love the man. And uh, I'm anytime they have any kind of uh, Jimi Hendrix tribute. Last year they had in, in Montclair, um, they had a very good tribute. Uh, Jimi Hendrix's uh, stepsister uh, came out and talked about uh, Jimi's life and uh, what it was like living in Seattle. It was a lot of fun. A lot of people that worked with him 
and uh, Billy Cox, his bass player, was there to talk about uh, working with Jimmy. So uh, music, I'm there anytime. Uh, anybody wants to talk to me, just like you, you love sports so much. Uh, I love music, and uh, I've, I've always embraced it. And I feel so bad now because there's so many good artists uh, that can't perform. Uh, a guy like, uh, I know Sting had a tour uh, that he wanted to do. Uh, he, he's stuck. He can't do anything. Uh, I know uh, last night I saw uh, John Bon Jovi on a TV show. He, uh-huh. he and his band had a tour set up to go. That got canceled. So yeah. there's a lot of creative people out here that can't go out on tour right now. And, of course, they're stuck um, in the house with their kids. Finally, they're home for a long period of time. Yeah, so, seriously. So I'm laughing because they now want to get back on the road. Yet the guy that's on the road, like my son's uh, father-in-law, most of his life, he's now 68, um, he said so many of the years he would have probably been happier with just having a normal life and a, uh, uh, a wife and children. He said the money they pay you when you get up on the stage is really to compensate you for the downtime, uh, the time you're sitting in hotels, you're reading you know, books, magazines, trying to pass the time, and then, of course, traveling all the time. He said the traveling really wears on you. It so, does, yeah. It, yeah. So anybody who's done it, it's fun. It's, it's a novelty, but if you had to do it uh, throughout most of your life, it really takes a toll on you. Yeah, it does. So that's awesome. So brother Pat right there is uh, not only an investor and a uh, wealth king, he is a uh, musician, the white Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yes, yes. Jimmy was a good idol to have. And yeah, I, I know I could play some of his songs, but no way can I play anywhere near the way that that man played. He had a mind that was just unbelievable. We'll get uh, you a song and, and just turn it into something beautiful. So uh, I really love anybody creative, uh, whether it's a musician or even an artist. You know, you go to the – Gene and I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art a few weeks ago and just see the creativity that's there is just unbelievable. So yeah. I encourage all of my clients to broaden their horizons, have fun not only with the equities markets, but enjoy life, whether it's music or walk in the park. Uh, there's a lot of fun things to do out there. Right now we're kind of stuck in home. But uh, look around on the different sites to see where you can travel in the next uh, year or two when things get better. Because uh, life is about having fun, and part of it is, is investing to have the money to have fun. That's a very important uh, thing that uh, most people miss. You know, there are people who have a lot of money who are very wealthy but are not enjoying their money. Yeah. The idea of having a certain degree of wealth is to have fun with you and your significant other and your children, your relatives, to have the money to go out and have a, a nice day, you know, whether it's uh, getting together to go to dinner, going for a drive to the shore, all those things are part of uh, the fun things in life. Definitely. So um, one last thing, Pat, um, when my listeners want to get in contact with you, what is the best uh, form of contact? And if you can provide that. Yeah, um, my landline number uh, is probably the uh, easiest way. That's uh, 201-998-9855. And then my uh, contact for sending me uh, an email, it's pwhelan, W-H-E-L-A-N, at I-A-C, I-A-C, those letters, advisor, A-D-V-I-S-O-R.com. 
and I'll do my best to get back to you, if not the same day, the following day. Some days get a little hectic, and if I can't get right back to you, I'll get back to you the next day. Definitely. Thanks, Pat. And uh, make sure you guys use the coupon code GeoGrassi. Pat might be able to take you out on the. <laughs> <laughs> Pat might be able to take you out on the boat. Uh, <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you take the boat out this? Uh, you took it out what once or twice this summer? I've taken it out a few times because of the pandemic. It was more restricted because yeah. uh, clients who've been with me for years, when I did reach out to them, they said, "You know, Pat, thank you very much. It's a forty-one foot." Uh, boat down on the, on the Hudson. We have a lot of fun with it. It's called the Jersey Shore, S-U-R-E. And uh, we've had some <laughs> But this year, people were very restricted in going out. We all wore masks when we went on the boat. But people today, as you know, with this pandemic, they're not so much leaving the house. And if they do go out, it's very limited on where they're going. Yeah, no, it is. And, uh, you know, for, for those that don't know, Pat is such a great guy. Uh, he takes his clients out on the boat out here on the Hudson. He'll give you a nice little tour, either Hudson River, East River. He might take you out fishing on the Atlantic one day when he buys the uh, 200 foot yacht, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever that happens. But uh, no, Pat, listen, I, thank you for coming on. It's, it, it was fun. It was great. Uh, awesome information. And, you know, you know me, Pat, I love talking to you. Um, and it's always a great time. Always good talking to you. I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do this. And the nicest part of my business is genuinely helping people because the nicest thing when you run into a client, whether it's a wedding or a, a dinner, and they have a big smile on their face because you've opened up their eyes and their vision to see the wonderful field that I'm in of investing and how they could get involved and learning because it is an investment in our great country because I, I am a big advocate of people owning a piece of this uh, great country we all live in. Definitely. So, uh, Pat, any last words for our listeners before we, uh, before we hop off here? Uh, yeah, have fun with this. Uh, I hope we haven't gotten too technical today. I wanted to share with everybody the fun part of our business and the learning part of it. As you said with the newer client, the friend of yours, I think he generally now understands that uh, investing in the equities markets can be fun. You don't have to make it a, a labor. Start buying that magazine, whether it's Kiplinger's or Money, and have some fun. Buy, start on a small basis, and if you want uh, my guidance and help, uh, I'll certainly work with you. But get started. You know, that word uh, now. Do it now. You know, right now we're in a, a good uh, market. I can't predict when the market's going to go up or down. As you know, no one can do that. That's a uh, fool that will tell you that. But I'm optimistic about our country, and I think investing in the United States and, and the great people who run our businesses, I think is a good investment. Definitely, man. Sounds good, Pat. Thanks for coming on today, brother. Thank you, Gio. Take care of yourself. <laughs>